Feminist Buzzkills Live, the show that is always aware of every abortion we've ever paid for. <laughs> I'm Liz Winstead. I'm Moji Alawode L. And Maria's out today. So Moji and I are holding it down. Moji, tell them what's coming up on today's show. Huge news, big news. Federal charges were brought against anti-abortion clinic harassers, and we have the scoop. Annoyingly, national media simply can't be bothered, but AAF and our guest, Margot Channing from NYC for Abortion Rights, have played pivotal roles in bringing charges against them, and you'll get to hear all about it. Plus, comedian, actor, and co-host of the upcoming new podcast, The State of Women, Gina Brion is here. But first. Other people got arrested. (laughs) (laughs) So many people. So this is huge news, y'all. 11 anti-abortion extremists were arrested for blockading a clinic in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, back in March. And Abortion Access Front and some of our cohorts were videotaping it, filming it, and and collected evidence of them plotting it. And we were in large measure, a lot of our work was cited in the document of charges and we're really excited. Some of the people are with Operation Save America, who we talk about a lot on this show. And if you want to learn who Operation Save America is, go to Abortion Access Front's really dope anti-abortion exposure page called Hypocrites Unmask and click on OSA. It's a pretty good day when federal charges are brought against people who are doing harm. Especially because there have not been any face charges for entirely too long, while clinic violence has been escalating. And for those of you, and I didn't say face charges, I said federal charges, I think maybe. Um, And thank you for saying face charges. Uh, The FACE Act is an act that was enacted during the Clinton administration. It stands for the Freedom to Access Clinic Entrances. And it was due in in large part because back in the late 80s, early 90s, clinics were being firebombed. The people were chaining themselves to the front of clinics. There was violent harassment happening at the clinics. And finally, the act got passed with bipartisan support. Remember that? Old nope, never heard of it. Chestnut. <laughs> Um, when uh, Dr. David Gunn was murdered outside of his clinic in Florida. Finally, we passed it. And it's been sitting there. There have been violations of the FACE Act forever when they invade clinics, when they blockade clinics. And people have looked the other way for years because abortion has, people looked away at all abortion extremism for years. You know, it's maddening to think about how much rage was uh, brought forward from Joe Biden to everybody when the fake clinics had spray paint on them, right? Somebody had some oily rags and threw them through a window and everybody wanted hearings and, and what's happening and investigations. But yet when 11 violent extremists are finally brought up on federal charges. And by the way, no one in our media is talking about it. No, nobody, 
only no. conservative media is talking about it. And they're yeah. basically trying to rile up this is that this is a dramatic overreach of the federal government as though anyone invited them to go to a clinic and start doing stuff. Like, no, these people decided on their own to go do illegal stuff. That's right. what was and illegal. Every single right-wing outlet from Fox to Breitbart to Red, every single one of them has been dominating the media with that drumbeat you just said, Moji, which is treating these people as though they're the little old ladies with rosaries who are also violent in their and own loud way and aggressive. And, you know, to act like that's who they are, they're not. They these are the same people who make wanted posters up and then flyer the neighborhoods of the doctors. These are the same people that harass the children of doctors and providers. That's right. At their schools. These are like the minor same, children. That's right. Follow them to school. These are the same people who showed up at our comedy shows. These are the same people who are affiliates of clinic bombers, January 6th insurrectionists. I was going to say, I've like their affiliates, friends with, or some of them allegedly are. may have been near yes, <laughs> the exactly. Capitol on January 6th. That's exactly right. So um, it's very exciting to have this happen. Uh, we did a really good TikTok. That's a longer deep dive into it that we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Um, and our guest today coming up is going to talk about someone who they have been tracking, who was also charged with face violations from a different episode. So, you know, we have some good news coming up and that makes it very exciting. But we've got some big stories coming up that you probably didn't hear. But before we get to those, why don't we get to some of the quick hits of the week? Shall we, Moji? Yeah, let's start with the bad. Um, and of course, as usual, the bad is coming out of Texas, <laughs> the largest anti-abortion state, in case you were wondering. It's pretty obvious. Um, it's also the leader in abortion clinic closures since the Dobbs decision. So before Dobbs, Texas had 23 clinics, and now it only has 11 clinics open. Um, but of course, they're not performing abortions because abortions are illegal in Texas. But the job creator state just decimated a bunch of jobs. Also, the state that claimed it was going to end rape hasn't really done that. And no? speaking of rape, I'm going to go over to Florida where the cruelty continues because of their 15 week abortion ban, two incest survivors, one, one, a middle schooler and one, a young teen have been forced to travel two or three States away from Florida to receive abortion care. Planned Parenthood of Florida tells Buzzfeed news Democrats in Florida had tried to add exceptions for rape, incest and human trafficking into this already draconian bill before the ban was in effect. But that effort was rejected by Republican lawmakers in February. Anyone violating the law to provide abortion care could receive up to five years in prison. But we have some good news. I love good news. Oh my gosh, yes. Abortion is back in Indiana. Woo, uh, the, go Hoosiers! The Indiana Supreme Court has blocked enforcement of the abortion ban um, and providers and the state will be back in the court on January 12th for a hearing on whether or not the current abortion ban violates the Indiana state constitution or not. So we'll be keeping you up on all the details, but for now, Indiana's can access uh, abortion care and health care as is their right. Go. Did you say Indianaans? I said Indianaans. Yeah, I, I did. Like Indian Indianese. 
I have Hoosiers. no idea. Let's go with Hoosiers. That sounds specific, but sure. Hoosiers yeah, we're gonna go can abort. Hoosiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hoosiers go abort. <laughs> um, and in Supreme Court news, the Supreme Court of these here United States rejected an appeal from Rhode Island fetus fetishists who declared that since Roe has been overturned, their pregnancies had the same constitutional rights as you and me under the 14th Amendment. I cannot believe it. And this is a great story until it isn't when the rapey McKegstan court takes up some other case that will make things worse. But for now, we will celebrate that a fetus is not a person. I'm also really, really, really uh, concerned about this particular case because said fetuses are now, in fact, people, uh, toddlers, probably. And so I'm just just having trouble understanding what rights that the fetuses didn't have that they needed. Because they have those rights anyway. Go on. I don't know. Gonna... The, cat, the Catholic Karens had 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 some, have, had some. They had I've, some words, there's, there's and those no words sense. were shut down. Anyway, yeah. let's just uh, fly on over to Hawaii. Um, Hawaii has joined the trend in saying, "No way, we will not." be assholes. And so, uh, yeah, recently Hawaii's governor signed an executive order this week and it will allow the most luxurious of abortion travelers as well as medical professionals in the state to be safe of prosecution from overzealous anti-abobo states. So yeah, if you have the cash, go to Hawaii for your abortion. Paradise. You know, Moji, I never pregnancy. get to serenade a news story, but I just don't. did. I feel it's really good, good about Yeah, it. you did. And I do I like that you can get laid <laughs> and then have all the abortions. All right. I did not need to insert that pun, but yeah, I did. Um, mahalo. Uh, that's mahalo, right. Liz. Mahalo. Oh, oh, my God. Thank you. Arizona. Wow. Good news out of Arizona. That's right. I said good news out of Arizona. You lie. You know, I know. I it, it is true fact. As the state of Arizona devolves into the reproductive equivalent of one of those bad sepia-toned Wild West photo sessions, the Phoenix City Council is saying hell no and voted 6-2 to deprioritize any reported abortion-related crimes. Phoenix has joined several other cities like Houston, Austin, and Atlanta in fighting statewide efforts to ban abortion. The resolution makes several declarations, including the right of pregnant persons to full reproductive health care access, including abortion, opposes Arizona's abortion law, and directs the city manager to take steps to deprioritize police enforcement. So good on you, Arizona. Yeah, that'll directly lead to less pregnant people and miscarrying people ending up in um, police involved. So that is so great. Yes. And in the we ain't taking this shit news, a Jewish woman in Kentucky is using the rights afforded by her religion, the Jewish religion, to claim religious persecution because the evangelical way of no abortion for anyone ever is being forced upon her. So this is a trend we're seeing from uh, people who have religions that do say abortion is your right. And we'll be following it and keeping you up on the developments. And as always, these stories will be in the show notes. And we remind you the best and most up-to-the-minute resource on accessing abortion care and funding for your care is INeedAnA.com. That's right. I love them. All right. Let's get to our big-ass story, shall we? Let's. So I'm going to kick it off with who invited you here news. The cannibalization of secular hospitals by Catholic hospitals is profoundly affecting abortion care, no matter what your state's laws are. 
The Catholic healthcare facilities follow something called directives from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops that prohibit treatment it deems immoral, sterilizations, vasectomies, postpartum tubal ligations, contraception, and of course, abortion. Interpretation of the directives varies among hospital ethics committees, but decisions ultimately rest with the local bishop, who is to be kept informed, the directives say, if, quote, a Catholic healthcare institution might be wrongly cooperating with immoral procedures. The bishop is the final say. So guess what? Whether you like it or not, Bishop Overlooked Devos Child Rapticus is now deciding your healthcare decisions. This is terrifying. And it's particularly terrifying because in a lot of places, poor places, rural places, the Catholic hospital is the only option, right? Yeah, so like- 100%. That's all you got. You have nothing else. And if they think that we need to wait for your ectopic pregnancy to rupture before we can knowingly enter into care, then guess what? You might lose that fallopian tube. That's right. And the the article I was reading was really interesting because it quoted the executive vice president of the National Catholic Bioethics Center, who is a consultant to the Conference of Catholic Bishops. And here's his quote. These are a distillation of the moral teachings of the Catholic Church as they apply to modern health care. They're not just a directive of do's and don'ts. And any such Catholic facility must abide by them. And so just to give you an idea of how many Catholic hospitals we're talking about, seven in 10 hospital beds in the United States are Catholic hospitals. Four in 10 of the largest hospital chains are Catholic. And if you live in Alaska, Iowa, South Dakota, Washington, or Wisconsin, 40% or more of the hospital beds are in Catholic facilities. And I think, Moji, that people thought that like, that somehow Catholic hospitals had evolved and that like all those bans and all those rules were like old timey. And a lot of people were surprised to check into these Catholic hospitals and find out that, oh, whoa, if you go in there for like endometrial care and you have an IUD, they'll take it out, but they won't put it back in. Yep. Yep. Also, I was reading one anecdote and a nurse was saying, we are not doing best medicine here, right? Like there is actually a treatment of care that is best practices in medicine, but because it doesn't align with this Bishop, Mr. Rapey, it is not what we're going to do. And instead a patient is going to have alternative care. Yeah. Which is alternative just maybe not to the what? Best. Alternative exactly. to care? It's exactly. alternative to care. Alternative and that's, to, Yeah. That's the thing that's scary. It's, you know, it's vasectomies, it's birth control, it's it's plan B, you know, aftercare rape kits. It's a lot of shit. And if you think that you can avoid a Catholic hospital, think again. And pe- and again, rural places who work hospitals are trying to stay open. You know, they're going into those hospitals and gobbling them up so that they can stay open. And so again, the most marginalized are the most affected and not getting the care. And this shit is like not talked about enough. It it's is never bad. talked about. Yeah. And it's also bad. what it means is like you can be in a place like New York that is progressive and still end up getting Catholic care because you may not know 
that it's a Catholic. You know, I feel like a lot of times it's in the name, but you don't hear it. Like as we're talking, I'm like, oh, St. Vincent's used to probably be a Catholic hospital. Yeah. Right in the middle of the gayest part of New York. (laughs) And if it's like, you know, like Trinity, people might not understand that that's the Holy Trinity or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? So it's something that we need to be watching and something that we need to be demanding that Catholic hospitals you know, how, how they get to be this way. People need to be really paying attention to what your local hospital is doing. And if it's about to be gobbled up, like, you know, take action, get together, talk to your city council, you know, make some demands. But so, yeah, that was my story that I'm, and I'm mad about it. Moji. I'm mad about it. Do you have any good news? Uh, it's like lukewarm news. It's actually, it's, you know, it's good and bad news. So abortion activists in Mexico have decades of experience in creating networks of women and people become pregnant, counseling each other on safe use of self-managed abortion, right? Because, oh, what was it? Last September that abortion became legal and decriminalized in parts in Mexico, pretty much overall. And before that, obviously people were dying of like, you know, unhealthy abortions. And when people realized, oh, we can use misoprostol <laughs> to uh, end a pregnancy and that's over the counter in Mexico, let's do it. And then women started talking to women and there were just whisper networks of people. So it's pretty incredible. They actually have people called acompañantes. And that is literally just a person who accompanies another person. And it's a person who's done a self-managed abortion and they will talk a person who has not done it through it. So that's incredible. And post-Dobbs, it turns out abortion is, and obviously access to abortion pills, is easier in Mexico than all of the states that border Mexico, right? We're talking Texas. We're talking Arizona. Liz, your geography is better than mine. But basically, all of these places have incredibly restrictive bans. And Mexican activists are working with United States activists in helping getting pills across the border and getting them in the hands of people who need them. So that's the part of the news that I think is great. That's the good news. I know you're coming coming at me with a big butt. I know, but then the, you know, then, then the side punch is just like, that shouldn't be the only option that a pregnant person has. A person should be able to have a surgical abortion if they want it. A person shouldn't have to talk to a stranger who may mean well, who is great, if they are not comfortable doing that. That should not be someone's only option. And 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 if your pregnancy is after 12 weeks, it's not an option at all. And B, if you are coming from an environment or live in an environment where having your abortion at home isn't going to be work for you or isn't safe, that's also something to consider. And as, and I think you, you pointed out in the past, abortion pills don't help ectopic pregnancies. Not at all. Not at all. And we know that in these states that have these restrictive abortion bans, the doctors are feeling forced to wait for things like ectopic pregnancies to progress to essentially life-threatening before treating them, even though we all know that the care could come much earlier. So like, it's, you know, it's a, it's a silver lining and a terrible story. Yeah, but it is. It's really exciting and it's wonderful seeing North Americans come together and helping each other. And the other thing that I read about that's aligned with it is one of the activists in Mexico, when realizing um, what was being done with abortion pills, also went into jails and worked to free people who were arrested and detained or indicted for abortion related overzealous prosecutors. Also, just want to point out, like, that is the wave that we need to be on in the United States. Also, we need to acknowledge not only abortion access, but people who are jailed for miscarriages, for unfortunate pregnancy outcomes, or just a prosecutor that thinks that there could be an unfortunate pregnancy out- pregnancy outcome. And so I just feel like there's a lot to learn from Mexico and we should pay attention. And we should be deciding our pregnancy outcomes. 
Yes. Nobody should be criminalizing them and nobody should be jailed for them. Unbelievable. So yeah, that's a bittersweet story, but Mm -hmm. it also brings us nicely to our first guest who is an incredible person who is fighting against the people who are absolutely dedicated to fully destroying our own emancipation. Joining us first up is Margot Channing, one of the super sleuth bad guy trackers at New York City for Abortion Rights, a feminist socialist grassroots group that monitors the anti-abortion movement and leads direct action for clinic defense. Hi, Margot. Hi, Margot. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. It's so great you're here. So earlier in the show, Moji and I were talking about the 11 extremists who've been charged with face violations for an action in Tennessee. But earlier this month, Father Fidelis Masinski, a Franciscan friar of the renewal, was also charged under the FACE Act for blocking a clinic in Long Island. So Fidelis is a staple in New York City clinic violence. And so what I what I want to kick off with you is, can you fill the audience in on who he is and the type of harassment that he leads? Yeah, so Fidelis is definitely the uh, main character the main evil character of the abortion uh, rights sphere in New York. He is a Franciscan friar uh, from the Bronx in New York, or that's where he lives. And he's involved in a couple of things. The first is Witness for Life, which is the group that we counter protest uh, once a month. He's kind of their leader. It's not official, but as we've seen the past couple months while he was in jail for three months, without him, they kind of are like running around without it. Uh, like chickens without their heads on. So he leads that. And that is a procession that goes from various churches in New York. The one that we counter is from Old St. Patrick's in Soho to the Bleecker Street Planned Parenthood. And he leads a group of about 50 to 100 antis. It really depends. And they go to the clinic, pray loudly, disrupt the patient's arrivals. They have a fake escort. Her name is Bernadette. She's very close to Fidelis. So that's Witness for Life. And then Red Rose Rescue is kind of his other venture. And that's where they do the clinic invasions and they go inside clinics with these roses that have usually a crisis pregnancy center number on them um, attached as a tag. And they trespass inside the clinic and they try to convince patients to not go through with their abortion. Even if half that waiting room is not people getting abortions, they still somehow hand out those roses to those people. Does he ever do anything like he's a Franciscan monk? Does he ever do any religious shit or just harass people? Like, is that his full time deal? So the group that he's with, the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, have their main bases in the Bronx. And they do some, I don't want to call it mutual aid work because it's religious. So there's like some condition, conditional aspect to it. So I wouldn't consider it like pure mutual aid work. But Fidelis has never really been seen involved in any of that. He is kind of their anti-abortion person. And I think he's so busy invading clinics, being on trials for invading clinics, being in jail for invading clinics, uh, or like plotting the next invasion that he doesn't really have time for much else. For doing good. For God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Also, um, he's pretty 
like pro-lifers will have him on their podcasts and things like that. And it's actually quite funny. He looks like he's always like in his mom's basement or something. He wears these like gamer headphones and is like on a gamer chair. And his voice is a lot more high-pitched than you would expect from him. So that's kind of funny. So we like jumped all the way in about the, I'm going to say he's the evil villain of the New York City anti-abortion scene, but we actually didn't get you to tell us specifically about what New York City for abortion rights does. And I would love to have you just explain that for our listeners that are not aware of the organization, which I love. Yeah, for sure. So we're an abolitionist, socialist, intersectional feminist group fighting for abortion rights in New York City. We kind of have like a couple different focus areas that help us decide like what our actions will be. So we do clinic defense. So physically protecting clinics from antis like Fidelis. We also have educational events where we teach people about things like self-managed abortion. So like using the abortion pill, as well as like history and politics of abortion. We also track and monitor antis. Again, people like Fidelis, but also antis all around the country. I think Abortion Access Front also does this. Not many groups do it. So it's like really important work for grassroots groups to be doing as well. And then we also coalition build with other groups around New York that are not abortion related or that are abortion related, just trying to build like a strong base of people to get involved with all of our actions. I mentioned before that I love your work and it's because I've participated in some of the clinic defense at both the old St. Patrick's what is it? St. Patrick's Old Cathedral and at um, the the Brooklyn Court Street Church that um, I think your counter protest kind of shut them down. And it's a really satisfying protesting moment. Could you explain to our listeners who may have done other pro-abortion protesting or not just kind of what goes on there? Yeah. So what's really interesting about our actions is that I'd say like 90% of our actions are all countering something. So clinic defense is one of those. We're not just there. It's not a, a rally or we're not just like, you know, shouting at nobody. We're like directly facing our opponents. So What happens during clinic defense is um, the antis, it's pretty early in the morning on Saturdays. Uh, We have people show up at 8 a.m. That's when the antis show up. They have a mass that goes about until 9 a.m. And we pick it during that whole time. And we usually try to bring out drummers and we try to be really loud. The goal is to just like disrupt. They can hear us inside usually. So we try to be as loud as possible. And the mass Um, is dedicated to the unborn, right? I wanted to be that clear for our (laughs) listeners that this is a mass that is to bless them for being assholes on their way down to Planned Parenthood, right? Yes. It's run by Fidelis. And we had one journalist from the New York Times who went to um, attend the the mass. And um, generally, it sounds like a lot of it involves talking about us and how we are... you know, sinners or we're like lost souls and just very focused on like the opposition outside. Well, so, the unborn is yeah. really, really quiet. Yeah. They, they haven't found any unborn person to, to testify <laughs> for them yet. So <laughs> the unborn um, are usually pretty silent in my experience. Yeah. So then they come out or they try to come out around 9am after we've picketed. 
And that's when we form a blockade, what we call a blockade. And for uh, legal purposes, I just want to say that we do not block the church entrance because the FACE Act also applies to churches. That was like the compromise for passing the FACE Act was, okay, we'll pass it for clinics, but it also applies to churches. So we just block the antis on their way to the clinic. Um, So we're just blocking their passage and we'll just line up. Usually there's between you know, at our smallest, we've been 20, but then at our biggest, we've been 200. So it really varies, but we'll form like a little tight group and we just walk backwards as slowly as possible while they're walking forward, trying to push us forward because they want to go faster. And between us and the antis, there's a line of cops and the cops are also facing us. So we are basically like, I I call it being boob to boob with the cops (laughs) or chest to chest. (laughs) you are going to be touching, like your chest is going to be touching a cop's chest because we go so slowly that they just like really want us to move faster. So yeah. And um, eventually the antis get to the clinic. The longest we've held them off was 90 minutes, which was like really exceptional. Sorry, 90 minutes in Soho. In Brooklyn, we've done longer. I think we've gone like up to two hours. It was a little bit Yeah, I think one of the Brooklyn ones I was at, it was like really slow. And that's one of the things that is satisfying about it, that like progress is measured in minutes, right? Every minute that you keep them away is a minute that um, patients can get to their appointment without being harassed. Exactly. Yeah. And how long, how long is their journey? Like for people who say, you know, you say two hours for, uh, we know how astounding that is or an hour and a half. It's about six or eight blocks, right? So what, if we weren't, if you weren't there, it would take them 10 minutes to walk there, right? So in Soho, where we had the 90 minute record, it would take them five, four or five minutes to walk from the church to the clinic. Cause we do it a lot ourselves. Cause we have, you know, marshals coordinating between the two areas and we do it super fast because we're not mm-hmm. being blocked. Um, but yeah, 90 minutes is, it's a lot. Yeah. That's amazing. And I just wanted to, um, I just want to talk a little bit about the cops because it's it's no shock that the cops are there in droves. And for those of you who don't know, there's a history of cops siding with anti-abortion extremists in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, we know that they bring the extremist water and sustenance and snacks in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, cops literally were in uniform, pulled over and started protesting with the anti-abortion extremists to the point where one cop was um, charged, put on paid leave, and then got restitution and was paid $75,000 because he was wrongly accused of harassment. Even and, though he was wearing his police uniform after parking his police car and holding his police gun while walking with anti-abortion activists, extremists. That's right. And we were in Raleigh, North Carolina, doing an action and there was an anti-abortion person who was um, standing behind the escort team, rubbing his penis against the escort team. And this is a strategy that they've used before. They'll call the cops on themselves. And then when the cops come, they say, these people were assaulting me. And then the whole group of people said to the cop, no, he was rubbing his penis against us. And the cop was like, what can I do? It's he said, she said. And it's like, no, it's not. And then you have the New York cops that you're dealing with. Talk about how the cops have not in any way, shape or form 
been even-handed or fair in any of your civil disobedience? Yeah. So I feel like just the circumstance of it already, it's like established that the cops are on the anti-side and their justification is, well, they have a permit and they do most of the time, not every time, but most of the time they get a permit. But the permit is just for them to be allowed to walk in a group on the sidewalk or potentially take the roadway. The permit shouldn't mean like there's nowhere in getting a permit that says you get an escort from the cops and they act as your private security and bodyguards and will like push other people back. So the cops are pretty physical with us. As I mentioned, they will, especially if you're in the front line of our blockade, um, you know, you have a risk of being elbowed by them, especially in the chest. There's a risk of being shoved really hard. We've had people like fall backwards. Luckily we're in a tight group, so we can usually like push each other back up. But um, you know, I've considered like telling people bring a helmet, bring a bike helmet. If you know you're going to be in the front lines. We've also had since May, the strategic response group, which is the NYPD's riot cop unit present at all of our clinic defenses. And they haven't come out of their vans uh, the past two months, but May, June, July, they were out. They made arrests in August also. And once they come out, they play this dispersal order that says you are obstructing um, pedestrian flow of traffic, which is funny because technically, yes, we are, but so are the cops and so are the antis. We're just doing public good and trying to prevent them from harassing patients. So there's like a moral issue there is like, okay, technically, yes, we are doing this, but we're also doing the job of protecting the community, which is actually not what cops like exist to do. But Yeah, you can always expect a couple bruises after our clinic defenses. And and there's definitely a bias that has been documented by press and by protest monitors and legal observers who come to our actions. Yeah, it's it's very obvious. And, you know, one could think about why. You also, your org, you don't just show up to defend clinics, but you also track them. You also track cops and you do, again, public awareness work. Can you talk a little bit about that work, what it looks like and why it's important? Yeah. I'm not going to go into too much detail because I don't want to give our tricks away. We respect that. (laughs) From, From tracker to tracker. But one of the reasons we do it, it's part of the age old anti-fascist practice of knowing your enemy and sharing the information. Who are these people who are harassing others and causing people harm? Who are these people who are really just people in your community? Like they can be your neighbors, you could be grocery shopping with them. And it's really important for community members to know and be aware of like who they're around and who we are letting process in New York City without opposition, which is what we're trying to do is we don't want to let fascists, because that's what they are, be able to roam our streets without being heckled. Um, we're not assaulting them. We're not, you know, there to, uh, like physically harm them. We just want them to know you're not welcome. And I think that the shame aspect of it is really important because that's kind of what they do is they intimidate patients and they want to intimidate them out of making a certain decision. So we want to shame them into making the decision of staying home instead of going out and doing this horrible thing on Saturday mornings. So we do track antis. Fidelists 
is very hard to track because he is a monk and not really on social media. So the older generation of like the Red Rose Rescue people are much harder. And sadly, we often find out about their invasions after the fact. But the younger anti-abortion generation is very online and they are oversharers. So we yeah, can the know- Tennessee ones literally streamed their whole crime on Facebook. Yeah. 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 And, they, that, they and don't, I think, yeah. yeah. And I think that's the good news about AAF is that the old guard, we have, you know, we have tricks where we are following them as well. And the old guard are, you know, teaching the new guard in Tennessee. They literally announced that they were making a training video on video while they were streaming. And so that part of it is really amazing. And I do want to just say thank you because when you do this uh, so often on this podcast and at Abortion Access Front, it's so frustrating because the media doesn't cover these issues at all. And we, most folks don't know who their enemies are. They think it's Tucker Carlson and they think it's these sort of generic Fox News people. And the anti-abortion movement is strong and well-funded and full of people who are massively influential that folks don't know. And so Mm -hmm. your work is vitally important. And I know you've got a petition that is out there demanding that St. Patrick's Old Cathedral stop hosting these monthly Witness for Life uh, masses that lead down to block patients from getting abortion care. And we're going to put that petition in our show notes as well. Um, And thank you so much for joining us, Margot, and for the work you do. Hopefully you'll come back soon. For sure. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Thank you to Margot Channing for joining us. Check out our show notes for a link to NYC for Abortion Rights petition demanding St. Patrick's Old Cathedral stop hosting the monthly Witness for Life. And if you're in the New York area, join NYC for Abortion Rights at the next clinic defense in Soho, November 5th. More details can be found on their social media, NYC for Abortion Rights on Instagram and NYC for Abortion on Twitter. Let's move on to... Six Degrees of Abortion. That's right, the game show that is sweeping the potosphere. I pick a news story that seemingly has nothing to do with abortion. And Liz has one, two, three, four, five, six degrees to tie it to our issue. Here we go. You ready, Liz? I feel like I'm ready. Got your thinking cap on? I mean, yes. I so do. this this week, fake German heiress and NYC grifter Anna Delvey was released from prison. You may remember her. The Netflix show Something Anna, Finding Anna, was about her grift, where she basically got a whole lot of New York's fashionable and um, wealthy elite to buy into a thing that didn't exist. So I'd love for you to just link Anna to abortion. Oh, Gosh, Anna Delvey. Well, can I um can I tie does it have to be the actual Anna or can it be can I tie it to something else? I don't know what something else is. Give it a go. Let's see. All can- right. So I feel like will you give me right or wrong answers if Yeah, if, yeah. Okay. as much as I can, yeah. Okay. Anna Devere Smith was in this, I think. Was she in the sh- in the show? I in the think Netflix so. Show? Huh. Yeah. I, I didn't think- watch all of it. I feel like I watched an episode or two. So I think Anna Devere Smith was in this. And Anna Devere Smith is somebody who is a profound 
racial justice and reproductive rights activist, but I'm not, I think she's in it, but I'm not hundred percent sure she's in it. So as you're saying it, I'm believing she's in it, like the movie, the show. I'm, I'm kind of thinking it too, but I also, I'm just not clear. I'm a little soft on that. So I'm going to go with, do we know, can we, um, can we have our producers uh, look it up for us to see if I'm correct? I think it's called Finding Anna, producer. Yes, she is. She's in it. Oh, she is. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so give so... me the whole trail, Liz. Okay. Oh, wait, that's the trail. Anna Devere Smith is in the show. Anna Devere Smith is an abortion activist. If you're an abortion activist, you are, I'm tying you to abortion. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll buy it. I love it. Also, I love Anna Devere Smith. She's so talented. Oh, she's so talented. <laughs> she's yeah. literally. She a, was really good on the West Wing too. She is a national treasure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, really amazing. And so it's, it's all right. Good. So All there right. we go. Thank you. Well, I feel well really done good again. About that. All right. Thank I you. feel good about you. I, I was a good, it was a good option. All right. Uh, let's keep it moving, winner. All right. We'll keep it moving. <laughs> we'll keep it moving. I think, is it you or me bringing on our next it's guest? It's me, our next guest <clears throat> actor, comedian, writer, and New Yorker. She's appeared on The View, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Late Night with Seth Myers, and this year on AAF's Do Re Me Too concert. Please welcome Gina Brion. Hi, Gina. Hi, hi, hi. Hi, so Gina. To see you. It's good to see y'all. Oh my gosh, you were so great in Do Re Me Too this year. I like Thank screamed. You. For anyone, any of our listeners who don't know, Do Re Me Too is our annual concert that AAF does. And it's basically our favorite singers and comedians. And they take a sexist ass song from pop music, something that you know and probably love, and they give it the once over and mm-hmm. Gina saying more than words by extreme. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think Can in the I chat, we were all like singing along with you. <laughs> when I did that song, I was like, this is ruined for me. <laughs> I used to love this song. And then you listen to it and you're like, oh, this is why I've been in toxic relationships. <laughs> exactly. like, you know, I somebody... thought this was romance. <laughs> Well, and it's like Nico Case, who was also part of the show, was like, I can't tell you how many weddings I've been to where people had this as their first dance. (laughs) And it's like, oh, my God. I will never hear that song the same again. And I think somebody in the chat was like, you should look up like the the lead singer. So I did. Oh, oh we did too. Slack. Yeah, he oh. looked like a problem. He yes, like a problem. he did. He did I found a picture of that guy <laughs> with, and we'll put it in the show notes because it's so gross. He's he's wearing nothing but his guitar. Oh god. Also, he had like super long hair. He just looked like one of those. I don't even know, poet. Poet it's like that, that corny rock picture that everybody used to take. Like back yes. in the day, whatever, it was like, oh, it's so sexy to just have a guitar and be naked. Yes. No, that just means you can't afford clothes. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're broke. Or you have a, or you can't afford a stylist. Like yeah. no one's giving you good Or advice. a drum machine and your cock <laughs> is doing the work on the back of the guitar. So <laughs> even just... clothes don't like you. That's yeah. how bad it is. <laughs> Um, yeah, seriously, funny. like that moment though happens to me at every single Do Re Me Too. So like every single one, there's like, oh God, I used to love this song. God damn it. This is the best song. So like 
did before you did it, did you know the song was trash or were you like working out your arrangement? You were like, oh, shit. When I saw that song on the list, I was like, wait, what do you mean? (laughs) Wait, how is that problematic? What do you mean? (laughs) And then I really listened to it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this song don't make no goddamn sense. Not even Why little. would I sit here for years and be like, oh, this is so romantic. He wants more than words. <laughs> <laughs> That's so romantic. And then I realized the whole song is like gaslighting and the whole, like, I, I really, I was like, you really fell for just the melody of the song and didn't Such really a good pay melody. attention. It really is. Such a good melody. That's what hooks us. That's how they get you. <laughs> That's how they get you. Every time. Every single time. Even some of the other songs that I didn't sing. Let me just tell you something. The Drake song. Let me tell you something. Drake, oh. is my, Drake was my Canadian baby father before I saw his song on the list. And I was like, damn it, Drake. Oh, that one I did get. Because he's like, he's all like, you got passports. He's like, you got, you getting pages, running out of pages in your passport. And I was like, why is that a bad thing? That's a good thing. Is that, when is that, that a bad song thing? first came out, <laughs> I remember being like, I don't understand why he's mad. <laughs> it sounds like she glowed up. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you low-key ghosted someone and then came back around like, how come you don't pick up your phone anymore? Because I deleted you, boo-boo. Yes, and I'm, I'm doing so better. Sorry. And he's like, yes. but why are you doing better? No, I I mean, I was like, the yeah. video's great, the melody's great, Drake is trash, but also like, I dance to it still. But you know, you know what like, I mean? It's one of those things where I think that we block out the sort of... um genre of sexist song that's like no one but me Mm. right and then we we perceive that as sexy when it's really one step away from locking you in a room and letting you out to eat yes (laughs) (laughs) like what wait what disney movie was this yeah exactly everyone of them them. it's all of them them. (laughs) trick question it's all of them And then you have a mermaid who can't escape and lives in the sea. And then that mermaid's black. Look out. Oh, oh, look out because that's their biggest gripe. Look out. I love the argument I love is like, well, you know, as a redhead, she's still a redhead. Still. Your argument is invalid. I pull it away from you. (laughs) And then the whole argument of like, well, what if we made Mulan and then this? Their culture is directly linked to the story. Again, I'm like, yeah, you can't, you can't do this with brave, but we're talking about a mermaid. I know it's true. And that's what if, and if, mermaids are real. Like, right. stop. The audacity will come for the most ridiculous things, won't it? The most when, ridiculous. But like, you know, honestly, like do re me too. This whack ass little mermaid conversation. It it reminds us at every turn. That everywhere you go, women are defined by men in the most subservient and dehumanizing terms. And like, I have to be honest, like I started stress eating for the midterms, like the last midterm, you know, I just can't (laughs) deal. And so, so Gina, what I'm psyched is that you're starting a new podcast with Kimberly Brooks, who if you don't know Kimberly Brooks, wellness guru, amazing person called yes. The State of Women, because, 
and you're doing it right after the elections, mid-November, perfect time so that because we're all going to be just damp with tears, mostly male tears. But um, hilarious. Hopefully. Mostly male tears. We'll mostly catch male tears. We're going to be damp. But like as many voices as possible need to remind the world what the world is like for women. So this is leading to a question, which is what do you think the state of women is and what kind of issues are you going to be tackling on this pod? It's so funny because I think the state of women now overall is a state of upset and anger. And I think for the first time I'm seeing a lot for the first time in history, we're not taking your shit anymore. We're not taking it anymore. We're not being nice about it. No, I will not smile at you. No, I will not act like everything is okay. No, I will not accept your harassment as you hitting on me. No, I will not. We're not taking it anymore. And it's getting scary for a lot of the men because we're now going to call you out on so much because we're sick of it. At this point, our rights are being taken away. At this point, our voices are being silenced. There's no more playing it nice anymore. There's no more being Switzerland about this. There's no more being nice about this. And me and Kimberly tackled some pretty heavy topics. And Kimberly is brilliant. She is a brilliant woman. I loved working with her. And we got to dissect a lot of things, not just apart from Roe v. Wade, but stuff that was coming down the pipeline from Roe v. Wade. Uh, And that for me was a really incredible experience. I don't get to talk about a lot of these issues a lot. You know, it's been a minute since I've even had a podcast. So it was nice to kind of jump back in. Although I I did have a podcast before that called Mess in Progress, and we are going to start that up and change that up as well. So there's a lot of podcasting in the future, I think. And I think women should do more podcasting, honestly. Yeah. The media doesn't Absolutely. cover our issues. It's why we started this one, because the media doesn't talk about abortion unless a big thing happens and then they'll cover it for a second. But they don't know the right experts. Mm-hmm. They get shit wrong. They don't look at the larger picture of like, it's like you said, how, what are the oppressions that tentacle out mm-hmm. when you start doing this? Right. So I would love to know, like, In really talking and looking and thinking, what were some things that like smacked you aside of the head where you're like, shit, I have not thought of that. In this podcast, one of the segments that I love is we have our final segment. The third segment is where we give people information on where they can go for help and resources. And that to me gave me hope. It, it just, the sense of community that we were able to give people and be like, you are not alone. If you need mental health, we talked about mental health struggles. We talked about the wage gap. We've talked about so many things. And always at the end, our little button was, this is how we conquer these issues. This is how women come together and really dissect this as as a whole and begin to chip away at this, God willing, as much as we can. Because this is, I mean, we're talking years of fixing systemic issues. Right. It's not going to happen overnight, unfortunately, as much as I think we would all love it to happen overnight. This is going to be something that we will have to chip away at for years. But I think now, honestly, we have every single generation fighting for this. And yeah. that's what's beautiful. The coming together of the millennials, Gen Z, of, you know, Gen X, not so much boomers. Uh, <laughs> but even some boomers. But still, we have some people that are really, I just love the fact that we're all coming together to fight 
for our rights. Well, we can't talk about the state of women without talking about the state of women in comedy. So is it a good state or a bad state? Um, I want to believe it's a good state. And here's why. Um, I think, you know, with performers like Hannah Gatsby, with people, thankfully, like Margaret Cho, who I was so excited to see on Do Re Me Too, really being these strong, powerful voices that are holding up a mirror to society and going, look at how ridiculous and how bad things are going right now. I think now, more than ever, we are not asking for a safe place. We are now claiming them. Yeah. This is now my space, my time to talk as female comics. We are like, this is, I'm no longer going to silence myself, play the game, or put myself in a position where I feel like I cannot fight or advocate for anyone, any female identifying person who needs an advocate. And I think that to me is the vibe right now when I talk to other female comics and just not too long ago when I was in Atlanta, when I was, um, I was filming a movie, <laughs> humble brag, but I went to a comedy club and the green room was all female. It was the most welcoming environment I have ever walked into. And I felt so safe. You know, and I think that it's like really key because for so long, especially in comedy, we have accepted how the toxic masculinity has set literally set the stage, like literally and figuratively set the stage for how you behave, how you support, how you are in it. And so I wanted to ask you, like, it's an incredible time to do a deep dive because I feel like everything you said, cosine, at the same time, there's an avalanche of oppression that's coming at us constantly by people who seem like they are zombies for oppression and they just want to suck it out of us. So A, I want to know as you are tackling these issues and bringing them in and talking about them, how you parse it out so that you take care of yourself. Like, I think that's an important thing for folks to know because it comes fast and furious and we don't want people to quit, but we also don't want them to be defeated. And then how you are finding joy these days. Oh, that's such a great question. I think, again, I go back to this idea of community. And I think that's what's going to help us all get through this. Not trying to take everything on our shoulders by ourselves. We're not fighting this fight alone. And that's the beautiful thing about it. And when me and Kimberly were dissecting these things, there was such a sense of sisterhood when we were reading through some of these awful stories of, of women that have just had horrible experiences at the hands of the patriarchy, at the hands of so, so much misogyny, it's disgusting. And I remember just having moments with Kim where we really had to take a pause after what we just read. We really had to take a minute and feel the heaviness of it. And I think what we're most afraid of a lot of the times, just in life in general as human beings, is uncomfortable moments. We're not taught how to deal with uncomfortable moments. And I think right now is one big, giant, uncomfortable moment. (laughs) And the way through it, is to band together and really achieve that community love that we need. 
as for how I give joy or bring joy into my life, I mean, comedy is always going to be a healing thing for me. So being able to get on stage, being able to perform, being able to connect with people is an incredible experience. But there are also little things that I would do by myself. One thing that I love and that I've learned from some of my younger girlfriends, having been a person for years that was just work, 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 and just pushed and pushed and pushed and never took care of myself mentally, never took care of myself spiritually, being able to say to people, I need to take a mental day, being able to say to people, I'm going to take time to do something for myself and treat myself with the kindness and love that I so freely give away to other people. And learning how to do that for myself has bought me an immense amount of joy. And I highly recommend it. Yes, I feel like that is one of those lessons you get with uh, with age and with mm-hmm. self-awareness. <laughs> yeah, and the confidence of taking a break, like sitting in silence means take that time. Yeah. Yes. And it's, and to demand it is, is, is challenging, but it's a thing that I think as you get older and as you get a little more confidence, you can just say, no, I need this. This is how I'll be better for you when I take this. Um, I can't function properly if I can't get my mind right. I just, I can't. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining us and bringing your wisdom and ending on such a high note. Totally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. You can find Gina Brion at ginabrioncomedy.com. Also, please catch her new podcast, The State of Women, debuting November 15th. And follow the socials, G Brion on Instagram and on Twitter at TikTok at Gina Brion. So thanks again, Gina. And also thank Margot for joining us from NYC for Abortion Rights. And you, listener, thank you so much for listening to us. We are here for you as we navigate these dark days. We want to be a reliable info hub and a source of humor as we face some really hard times ahead. We are in this together. We got you. That's right. And if you like the pod, please, please subscribe, write a review, give us five stars. It's the best way for our podcast to reach more people. And by doing so, you're helping more people learn about this assault on abortion access. To keep up on all the latest abortion news, follow us on social at Abortion Front, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and on TikTok and YouTube. It's Abortion Access Front. FBK Live is edited by Remy DeTournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. Are you looking for where you might fit in to do some abortion activism? Look no further than our five-part training series, Operation Safe Abortion, available in video and podcast form. Gather friends, watch or listen together, and follow the activity guide for a full experience. Details on the series are at operationsafeabortion.com. And make sure you check out the activist calendar as well, which is chock full of local and national actions and educational opportunities. And join us next week as we are talking to friend of the pod and brilliant legal mind, Dahlia Lithwick, to talk about her new book, Lady Justice, Women, the Law, and the battle to save America. Plus, comedian, writer, and host of the new podcast, Parenting is a Joke, Ophira Eisenberg joins us. And lastly, join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool FBK merch and experiences. All pledges support this pod and all of our activism at Abortion Access Front. Pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. That's right. And today we leave you with human contradiction, Dennis Prager, who shows his whole ass by claiming his Bible is the only thing 
preventing him and all of us from hooking up with our siblings or something. Ew. Ew. There's no secular argument against adult incest. Brother and sister want to make love. What's your argument? That they're going to produce mentally retarded offspring? It's nonsense. It takes many generations of inbreeding to do that. There is no secular argument against adult consensual incest. Feminist Buzzkills Live, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. When BS is popping, we pop off. New episodes drop Friday. If you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills.